seven, Stan Phillips. Good morning, Mets fans. Happy Wednesday. Happy hump day to you. Well, today's a classic example of a good news, bad news day kind of report that I'm going to give you. The good news is one of our top two aces, Max Scherzer, returned and pitched like Max can only pitch, if not even better. The bad news is the Mets felt silent in a ballpark where balls fly out every day. And because of that, the Cincinnati Reds, the lowly Cincinnati Reds, defeated the Mets 1-0 yesterday. Now, Scherzer dazzled in his return. But like I said, the hitting just wasn't there. Tuesday marked the highly anticipated return of Max Scherzer in a Met uniform. And boy, he did not disappoint. The offense, on the other hand, left much to be desired in a 1-0 loss to the Reds. Now, here's what happened Tuesday in Mets land, in case you missed it. Scherzer went six shutout innings while striking out 11 in his return from an oblique injury, but the Mets couldn't come up with any clutch hits in the 1-0 loss. Afterward, James McCann explained that Scherzer didn't miss a beat during his time away from the club. Now, Scherzer's dazzling return deserves to be celebrated, but a lot of holes that need to be filled were exposed by the Mets yesterday. Now, what happens Going forward, well, hopefully the Met bats get hot. Now that Scherzer's back with the club, the Mets have reasons to be proud of the players who stepped up in his absence, and they're going to continue to have to step up. And the bats do have to get going. Uh, also, on the horizon, we have Max Scherzer returning, as has been mentioned, and Jacob deGrom's rehab. So by the end of the month, we could have Scherzer and deGrom both pitching. And with Francisco Alvarez being promoted to AAA, things are looking good. Now, Max Scherzer gave, as always, gives a good post-game press conference, and here it is. First of all, Max, I mean, obviously, it, it seems like you were physically fine. You came out of it feeling as good as you'd hoped? Yep, felt great. Um, no issues whatsoever today. Felt strong uh, all the way through. Uh, never tightened up on me, so that's that's a good thing. Aside from the health and, and obviously the types of results you got tonight, what were you happiest with in your first game back? Um, that I was able to locate the fastball then, but most importantly, I uh, really felt like I had a really good slider tonight. Um, my rehab starts, my uh, slider really wasn't sharp, it wasn't breaking the right way. And uh, over this turn, you know, my bullpen really, I thought I found something on my slider uh, that I, you know, I knew I was going to need it against this team um, and was able to execute that uh, and make that adjustment. Uh, and I felt like that pitch really helped me um, navigate their lineup tonight. Is it to have the command that you had when you haven't pitched really in, in seven weeks? Uh, I, but that's that's the beauty of throwing McCann. Some of the you know McCann one time in those rehabs. Uh, you know I thought James did an outstanding job tonight working with me. Really felt comfortable with him even more so uh, this this game. You know I've been talking about hey this is how we want to set up. This is what we're thinking in this situation. And uh, he did a great job of making adjustments and. and giving himself a good target, and it just felt like a very easy to throw to him tonight. So, uh, you know, that, that's the good thing that came out of this, really, uh, is, you know, how I was able to work with him tonight. Did you feel you hit a little more in the tank? 
Um, I know where you're going with that question. Um, you know, let's first off say this is a good problem to have. Um, you know, Buck is going to make the best decision for the ball club and for my health and the long-term health. Um, so I completely understand where he's coming from. Um, you know, with that being said, I didn't have any problems tonight. You know, I felt good, felt strong. Uh, I had nothing tightened up. Um, you know, I wanted to get to that 90-95 pitch count. Um, but, you know, you know, they, they just didn't want to send me out there for the seventh, and I understand that. And hopefully, uh, you know, I'll be able to get to that 99 foot p- uh, pitch count next time out. In a 1-0 game like this where both starters are making their returns in a little while, um, you know, what did you just make of Nick Lodolo's start, him going out and going up against yourself and pitching pretty effectively for Cincinnati? Yeah, he threw the ball well tonight. Uh, we were matching zeros together. Uh, he did a great job against our lineup. Uh, you know, was able to get some a lot of strikeouts there, uh, and then their bullpen came in as well and be able to cover those innings as well to keep us off balance as well. So um, he did a great job tonight. So their bullpen. Um, unfortunately, we were we weren't able to score a run tonight. You've been taking an extra day during your rehab between starts. Will you need that again, or can, can you go five games? Um, I think physically, I would be able to go five. Heard you say kind of like, damn it, like in the first inning. Just when did you kind of feel like you settled in to, to your start, found a groove, and, and hit that good rhythm? Um, it, it comes down to executing pitches, uh, which you which you can and can't execute. And I actually thought my changeup was the weakest pitch tonight. Um, so you know that'll be my you know thing. I got to make adjustments on that that pitch specifically uh, going into my next start. When you had two on or two outs in the second, you ramped it up pretty good for the call third strike. Are you able to identify that early in the game, that that's a big moment, maybe the biggest moment of your outing? Uh, that was just a big spot. Um, you know, I didn't try to um, you know, throw it as hard as I could, but I just stayed, I knew I needed a firm fastball in that situation. Um, you know, as I get you know, farther along, um, you know, deeper into this, you know, get away from this injury, then it allowed me to be even more aggressive with a fastball and be able to step on it even more. But uh, today, you know, just felt like that was a situation where I threw a good fastball, but I didn't, I didn't reach back and, like, and really grunt. So maybe the grunts will come here in a couple more weeks. This was the 81st game of the season. You guys have maintained first place without you for a lot of it, without Jake for all of it. What do you just make in general of, of where the team is at at this point? Playing great baseball. Um, you're getting contributions from everyone on the team, offensively, defensively, pitching, starters, relievers. Um, everybody's had a hand in this. Um, it's not one guy. Uh, it's a collective of all of us. And uh, we just play good fundamental baseball, and we don't beat ourselves a lot of times, and we take advantage of a lot of mistakes that other teams make. And, um, you know, those little mistakes, you know, they add up to runs, and they add up to runs in our favor. And so I feel like that's why you've seen us play uh, great baseball in this first half. And uh, it's going to take the exact same <laughs> formula. Everybody's going to have to do the exact same thing uh, and continue to play at this level uh, for the rest of the year. I mean, you got to be on top. you be got to be consistent, and you can't just have have a good first half and have a bad second half. You got to be good the whole year, and that's that's the challenge of 162, uh, and that's why I love it. There you have it, Max Scherzer. Gotta love Max. He's honest, open, uh, tells it like it is, not in a condescending way. But well, Max is very astute at observing things, and he knows that the Mets can do this the rest of the way. Now the Braves are going to be hot. Let's face it. The Braves won the World Championship last year, and I thought they underachieved during the regular season. They have some of the best players in baseball, Kuna, Swanson, right down the line. Albies is out right now. He's a great player. Their starting pitching is fantastic. They are going to be tough. 
but it's going to be the ultimate test for the Mets, and we'll see. We're at the halfway point now. We played Atlanta a lot the last half of the year, so if we win first place, it's going to be well-deserved, and if we don't, then we know what we need to do to retool. But I'm confident this Met team has as good a chance as Atlanta at winning the division, so we'll see what transpires. Now, I always try to take the positive approach all the time. Scherzer's return is a reason to celebrate, but let's face it, the Mets do have big holes to fill. Now, a lot of Met fans get frustrated very easily, and at that time I offer a little bit of advice in an effort to keep everyone's blood pressure from spiking through the roof. Now, I always say, see the big picture, see the big picture, see the big picture. And the reason why I say that is because there is a big picture. The big picture is, did we really expect them to be ahead of Atlanta at this point in the season? Did we really expect them to be on a 100-win season, especially without the Grom and Scherzer? That's looking at the big picture. Uh, so after all, Max Scherzer was back and brilliant as ever. I know, you don't want to hear it on a night when the Mets couldn't scratch across even one run against the Cincinnati Reds team that featured what statistically is the worst pitching staff in the majors. In fact, it was beyond belief that they lost one nothing to the lowly Reds. Even if you can sort of forgive the Mets hitters for coming up empty against highly regarded rookie Liquidolo in his first look at him, they still had 13 outs to do some damage against a bullpen that came in with a 5.65 ERA, which ranks dead last in MLB. It seemed out of character for a team that has found ways to win all season, a team that has capitalized on bad teams and cashed in scoring opportunities at a rate that had them leading clutch hitting categories for so long in 2022. Lately, however, let's be honest, the clutch numbers have slipped some, and on Tuesday, the Mets went 0-8 for 8 with runners in scoring position. Most notably, J.D. Davis failed in a couple of huge spots as the need to add an impact bat to the D.H. slot becomes more and more obvious. And by now, it's clear that pitching Seth Lugo on back-to-back -back nights is a bad idea as he lacked the type of command and stuff that he had a night earlier when Buck Showalter used him to close out a 7-4 win. And this time, he gave up the game-losing run in the bottom of the ninth. Which is another way of saying that, in addition to a bat, the Mets clearly need to be aggressive in dealing for a quality reliever or two before the August 2nd trade deadline. To that point, Drew Smith's stock has fallen fa enough after he was hit hard on Monday night that Showalter had Tommy Hunter pitch the eighth inning of a scoreless game on Tuesday. As it turned out, perhaps Hunter was in there only because Adam Onovino was unavailable, according to Showalter. But that may turn out to be part of the story as well, considering Onovino had a day's rest. In any case, there, is, has, to, there has to be concern. We're on a 100-win pace at 50-31. and 31. Uh, Not simply because the Atlanta Braves continue to win nearly every night do we need to be concerned, but the Mets lead is two and a half games. But I will say this over and over again. Max is back, and maybe, just maybe, Jacob DeGrom isn't that far away. Because for everything there has to be like about the way the Mets have played this season, they were always going to need their two co-aces at a high level to have any real shot at going deep into October. That's when they're going to win the games they have to win in October, and that's where Scherzer and DeGrom need to be there. Let's cut to the chase. Those two guys are going to have to be the money ball players in October. So maybe Tuesday night in Cincinnati will turn out to be a first step toward that big-picture goal as Scherzer returned from May 18th oblique injury in grand style, striking out 11 hitters over six innings while allowing only two hits, both singles, and no walks. And he did so efficiently, enough that he threw only 79 pitches and under ordinary circumstances would have pitched at least one inning, maybe more. As it was, 
Showalter wasn't going to push Scherzer in his first start back, and that made plenty of sense. As much as Scherzer wanted to go another inning and get to the limit of 90 to 95 pitches the Mets had set for him, he told reporters, I completely understood where Buck was coming from. More significantly, he said he had no issues with the oblique injury, adding that it never tightened up on him. That doesn't mean he was 100%, for even though he seemed to reach back for a little extra in the second inning to strike out Matt Reynolds swing at a 96-mile-per-hour fastball to end the inning, leaving runs at first and third, Scherzer explained he still had back, held back a little bit, so slightly. In fact, he said, you'll know by the grunt when he's fully back. Uh, Scherzer said, I knew I needed a firm fastball in that spot. I knew I needed to step on it there, but I didn't reach back and really grunt. Maybe the grunts will come in a couple of weeks. And isn't that something we all want to hear? Max Scherzer grunting. But in truth, Scherzer didn't need to be at full grunt against a less than imposing red lineup, Reds lineup whose best hitters these days is Brandon Drury. Nevertheless, he was clearly sharp with his stuff in his command, working the edges off the plate with his fastball and slider, mixing in the other off-speed stuff as well. As Show Walter said, I was really impressed with his command after that much time off. And Scherzer himself added, I was really happy with my slider tonight. He'll have tougher tests in the week and months ahead to be sure, but for a first time back, this one couldn't have gone much better, except for, well, the no-show offense. Hey, all this stuff happens over 162 games. In baseball, you see everything over a full 162. But the concern in the cracks in the offense is starting to show with more regularity. So maybe over 162, the offense is getting a little bit exposed. The front office can do something to fix that. They may have to to jumpstart it, as well as the bullpen as well. But none of that matters without Scherzer and DeGrom at some point. So let's try it one more time. See the big picture. And half of that big picture is back with Max Scherzer pitching, and that's what we needed to see. And like I said, Scherzer was in Fuego yesterday, and that was so good to see. He had command. He was able to locate his fastball. He was doing it all. And uh, here's Buck Showalter talking about Max Scherzer's performance yesterday. Um, tonight, you got, we got to score some runs. Obviously, it's frustrating to waste a good outing by a lot of pitchers. You know, Tommy was good. Um, but um, no, we'll see. Uh, I was really uh, impressed at his command more than anything to take that much time off. It's, it's just a, just a hard worker. You had rain delay. You had uh, a couple long innings that he, a lot of other pitching changes that he had. This, so he was... I, if his pitch count hadn't been so low, I probably would, you know, six inning was the first time he had been there, and that's, that's good. So other than the loss, uh, didn't score any runs, there were a lot of good things from from Max's standpoint. That was, uh, it's been a long haul for him and all the people working with him. So hopefully it bodes well for uh, uh, hopefully what we hope is the rest of the season. Did you have Diaz warming up in the top of the ninth? No. No? The top of the ninth? No. No. He's, with, uh, with Lugo? Uh, if we went ahead. Right, right but he was, warm, he was warming up. I wouldn't say warming up. If something had changed the game, he would have pitched in the uh, 10th. Or if we went ahead. Yeah. We're trying to stay away from Lugo and Drew tonight and a couple other guys. We're, uh, you know, we've had to use a lot of people to uh, win some of the games we have, and there's a price to pay for it if you uh, push the envelope too much. I'm not going to do that. Felt great. Um, no so issues whatsoever. We've had to use a lot of people to. There you have it. There's Buck. First of all, Max, like it I mean, obviously, it, it seems like Oops. you were physically fine. Oops. You came out of it feeling as good as you'd hoped. Yep. 
Oh, great. Can't do that, uh, can we? There we go. Sorry about that, folks. Yeah, but Buck knows that they're in a predicament. It's time of year. Dog days are approaching where you're going to have to wear that pitching staff out a little bit. And Buck has to make some tough decisions. Not easy being the manager this time of year. But Buck can do it. If anyone can, it's Buck. Now, Jacob Grom is on the mind of a lot of Met fans this day. In the wake of Buster Olney's recent highly credible report linking Jacob Grom to the Atlanta Braves, it feels that what may have been a given, the Grom coming back to the Mets, may not happen. It is far from certain that the Grom will remain in New York after this season because both sides have valid reasons to consider ending this partnership. <coughs> now, some of the immediate fan reaction to Olney's tweet is that there is perception in some corners of the industry if Jacob DeGrom follows through with what he said in the spring and opts out of his med contract. The Braves will be the favorites to land him, was along the lines of Uncle Steve would never let that happen. But that's a misreading of Uncle Steve, who we prefer to call Steve Cohen, the Mets' deep-pocketed owner. If DeGrom opts out and Cohen makes his top priority, DeGrom, the Mets will spare no expense to retain him. But Cohen, of all people, knows how to make cold, smart business decisions. It's not certain that signing an oft-injured pitcher entering his age 35 season will be smart. As for DeGrom, it's no sure thing that the Mets will be his best option. Some league executives speculate that if DeGrom returns for a few months for even a few games, throwing 100 miles per hour, he could attempt another team to offer a contract above what the Mets consider rational like an even better version of what happened after Noah Syndergaard threw two innings last year and received $21 million offer from the Angels. Now, the Grimes agent, Stephen Veltman, did not respond to a message on Tuesday. The Atlanta speculation is rooted in part in the fact that Georgia is closer, both in geography and culture, to the Grimes native Florida. While the Grimes has been popular with most teammates during his team in New York, it might be hard for you to believe, but he's really funny said one longtime teammate, does not seem to enjoy the extra tension that comes with playing here. And that's interesting. Uh, DeGrom has been professional with reporters and watching him pitch. Uh, so I, I don't sense anything bad with Jacob DeGrom, but you never, never know. But his guarded nature has made him a mystery, even among many around the team, including some members of the front office, who wonder at the difficulty of establishing communication and rapport with DeGrom. It's also been clear that DeGrom's friends in the clubhouse said he is less than thrilled to be underpaid so soon after signing a five-year, $137.5 million contract before the 2019 season. Later that same year, the Yankees gave Garrett Cole a nine-year, $324 million deal. And last winter, Max Scherzer shattered Cole's record for average annual value with a three-year, $130 million pack with the Mets. Between those two events, DeGrom fired the agents who negotiated his Mets deal. Now, DeGrom, who was the best pitcher in baseball when healthy, need only look up to the Bronx and across his own clubhouse to find pitchers paid more handsomely. That would be enough to irritate just about any pitcher. And to all that, DeGrom's obvious anger last September when Mets president Sandy Olison said that DeGrom had a damaged elbow ligament. The following day, DeGrom held a brief impromptu news conference on the field. And DeGrom said, I know what was said, but my ligament is perfectly fine. I've been throwing, so I wouldn't be throwing if I had a compromised ligament. That's the plan to continue to throw and build up and see where we end up. And that's all I'm going to say. Perhaps DeGrom will soon pitch the Mets to a deep October run and bond with the new regime in the process. 
Perhaps Cohen will follow that by offering a rich contract extension. With DeGrom throwing his fastball in triple digits in his minor league rehab assignment in the Mets in first place, the story could be yet one of triumph. But make no mistake, after the season, the Mets will face a major decision on whether to commit to DeGrom, and DeGrom will have the right to determine if he wants to stay. It's far too early to assume how this will go. So I guess we're all going to have to stay tuned to see what is going to happen with Jake DeGrom. And we're also tuning in to see what's going to happen to Wilson Alvarez. Uh, he is now MLB Pipeline's number two overall prospect in baseball. And it's been a busy week for Francisco. Not only has he made his way up to AAA Syracuse, but the power hitting catcher has now moved up the pipeline rankings. And like I said, he's now the number two prospect in all of baseball. Uh, they, MLB Pipeline released their update prospect rankings on Tuesday with their former number one overall prospect, Andy Ruchman, reaching 45 days of major league service with the Baltimore Orioles, which marked his graduation from the list. Alvarez jumped from number six to the number two spot among all prospects behind only Detroit outfielder prospect uh, Riley Green. After mashing 18 homers in 67 games with double-A Binghamton Rumble Ponies and catching Max Scherzer during his rehab assignment, Alvarez was promoted to triple-A Syracuse over the weekend. In his triple-A debut on Monday, Alvarez went one for three with a walk and an RBI single. Now you got to remember Alvarez is only 20 years old, but he's quickly risen through the Mets system. And with the Mets offense struggling of late, particularly with all of their current designated hitter options, it's more than fair to wonder if Alvarez could make the jump to the majors sooner rather than later. Now, even if James McCann, who's only batting 171, 244, 250, and Thomas Nito, 213, 253, 234, continue to get the lion's share of innings behind the plate, Alvarez could be an intriguing option for the DH role, bringing some right-handed pop to the Mets lineup. And that's where the Mets have been hurting of late, as a DH area, with J.D. Davis really underwhelming in his performance. So we'll see what happens. Uh, he, Alvarez could be the jump start we are looking for. And that remains to be seen, but it could very well happen, folks. I don't know how you feel. Maybe we'll discuss that in the group, uh, New York Mets Baseball Way of Life, a little bit more. And let's do a shameless plug for that group. It's New York Mets Baseball Way of Life on Facebook. So if you're not a member, please do join. If you're not a broadcaster... Uh, please, 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 I'm not a broadcaster. If you're not a member of the group, you have to join. And if you're not a subscriber to this podcast, by all means do. Uh, we have one up just to, we try to put one up every day. So we hope you've been listening every day. And it's a great way to keep in touch with the Mets. Uh, without a doubt. We talk about everything that's changed in the game of baseball. Hey, and let's talk about, remember when Daniel Murphy uh, was a big issue when uh, his wife was about to give birth? It was huge. Uh, but now it's an everyday way of thing. And David Peterson was placed on the paternity list Sunday. And he's expected to be activated today to start the series finale against the Reds. Now, everyone who's on the paternity list takes a few days to be part of something that will last them far longer than their careers and will mean more to them than the game they play. They wanted to be with their newborns and to be with their spouses who wanted them by their sides. The athletes will forever remember the moment they probably would not have forever remembered, say, the Mets 4-1 win over the Rangers on Sunday. And it's, they've come a long way. 
but New York seems to have accepted that baseball players are humans too and situations arise when the humanity needs to be valued more than their media value to the clubs. As I mentioned before, a lot has changed since 2014 when Daniel Murphy was caught in the crosshairs of New York sports radio host who bashed the Mets infielder for missing the first two games of the season to be at his pregnant wife's side. You're a major, leaguer baseball, major league baseball player. You can hire a nurse, Mike Francisca Sessa said in early 2014. What are you going to do, sit there and look at your wife in the hospital bed for two days? Francesca was not alone. His then-co-workers at one of the biggest sports stations in the country, Boomer Sice and Craig Carton, also ignored the gravity of Murphy becoming a father, ignored the struggles of a woman who's going through and child, childbirth and recovering from childbirth. Esiason, who would later apologize for his comments, said the Mets' second baseman, should have been convinced his wife should have convinced his wife to have a C-section before the season began. If it were me, I'd want to go back to work. I'd want to be back at work. I'd want to be able to be with my team because I have a responsibility to that team. Murphy heard the criticism and brushed it off. His manager at the time, Terry Collins, seemed more bothered and said Murphy was criticized unfairly while pointing out Murphy had played 161 games the season prior. Sports and terrible sports talk radio spawned the national conversation that, at least in this area, at least in baseball, might be settled. If anyone were bothered that Peterson still managed to complete his in-between starts regimen while home in Denver beside his wife, left the club, and might have had his next schedule start pushed back, the pushback has been virtually mute. Within the Mets, too, there has appeared to be widespread support of Peterson's priorities. The Mets told him that whenever he had to go, he had to go. Peter Sneeman said, Buck and I discussed on a pretty regular basis that they have a plan in order for on any day that I would need to leave. We've been in constant communication for a while now about it, just in case so they can make the move and keep the team in a good spot. All parties, including even the most biting media figures, seem to have come around to the fact that fatherhood and being a good partner trumps a game, at least for now. Jeff McNeil's wife is pregnant, and here's hoping he only receives well wishes if he misses an August series against the Braves to be where he is most needed at least in this area, while involving baseball players. Now, you have to remember that when cornerback Jalen Ramsey took paternity leave during the Jaguars' 2019 season, 2019 season and missed a game, Fox Sports' Jason Whitlock first shamed him for not having married his girlfriend, then shamed him for being by his side. He's using his unborn child to shirk the commitment he made to the NFL and his 52 teammates on the Jaguars, Whitlock said. Maybe as long as there are eyeballs to capture and audiences to reach or anger to whip up. As long as those audiences are reached, there will be segments of sports society that grow irritated when a player's personal life conflicts with his or her responsibility to the team. But have you heard or seen one ounce of anger that several Mets and Yankees have missed time because they chose fatherhood over baseball? Yes, the times are changing, and that is good. That is a good thing. Now, the Mets go again today at, against the Reds at 6.40. And David Peterson, who we were just talking about, will get to go. He's been a great pitcher for the Mets this year. He's 5-1 and one with 3.24 ERA. And he'll be going against Graham Ashcraft, who's 4-2 with a 4.53. The Mets enter the contest, the road team at 50-31. The Reds are 28-52. And, and it's the rubber game in a match, and it'll be covered on SNY. Now, as always, let's talk about what's going on in the group. And as always, we start with the Mets baseball and trivia question of the day. Who's ready for that? Raise your hands. Good to see you all ready and eager to dive in. Today's trivia question. 
Before Edwin Diaz won NL Relief Pitcher of the Month for June 2022, who was the last, last Mets reliever to win the award? And today's final Jeopardy. Finished his rookie season of 2014 with... Oh, I'm sorry, here, I'm wrong, wrong, that's tomorrow's. I'm giving you tomorrow's today. That's not good. Here's today's final Jeopardy. Was promoted to the Mets on May 20, 2019, following an injury to Seth Lugo. Second clue was designated for assignment on June 15th after struggling to a 6.75 ERA in eight appearances. He elected free agency on June 18th. I'll lock in your answers and we'll be back at the end of the podcast to tell you how you did. Now, as always, we celebrate this day in Met history. Who's ready for that? Yes, we always seem to have birthdays to celebrate, and today is no different. Today, on this date in 1954, <laughs> we celebrate the birthday of Willie Randolph, former manager of the New York Mets. And on this date, the singles-hitting machine Lance Johnson was born on this date in 1963. Happy birthday to both. During the offseason, we're going to profile both players and give you in-depth analysis of their playing careers with the Mets, so you'll want to check that out in the offseason. But now let's talk about some of the other stuff that's going on in the group. We may mention the fact that the Mets, in order to clear space for Max Scherzer, designated Chasen Shreve for assignment. Chasen really never did much with the Mets, and he's basically a one-trick pony. I hate to say that, but I have to be honest with you. Uh... The Mets really need to shore up the left side of that bullpen, and hopefully they can do it somehow, but Chasen Shreve was not the answer. We also mentioned that in this day in 1962 at the Polo Grounds, Gil Hodges homered off a Cardinal hurler Ray Sadecki for a 370th and final home run of his career, finishing 10th on the all-time list and the most ever hit by a right-handed batter in the National League. Eight-year-old Howie Rose, the team's future radio voice at his first Major League game, was there, and broadcaster Ralph Kiner, who reminds the first baseman on his show, Kiner's Corner, he established right-handed NL home run mark in 1954, witnessed the moment. And then we give a good stat that MLB on Fox posted, the most career 10-plus strikeout games. Max Scherzer is now fifth on the list, trailing only Nolan Ryan with 215, Randy Johnson 212, Roger Clemens 110, Pedro Martinez 108, and now Max with 107. So Max has come a long, long way. Then we had a question in the group. What do you consider the Mets' most disappointing season ever? Ciro Ciro Grassi says, got to be one of those early 90s teams. Jeff Boris is 1987, too many starting pitchers in, injured. And Robert Amato chipped in with 2000. He said, for me, 2000, we should have finished off the Yankees. All close games, two in extras. And that was a frustrating season. Then we also know that in this date in 1970, Tommy Agee hits for a cycle to pace the Mets to a 10-3 win over the Cardinals. Jim McAndrew was the winning pitcher. And we also know that in this date in 2004, recently acquired Richard Hidalgo established a club record homering in five straight games for the Mets. 16 games with New York, the former Astro had eight homers compared to hitting just four with Houston in 56 games. Then we noted that on this date in 1962, Rod Keneal appearing as a pinch hitter hits the first Grand Slam in Met history, going deep off Bobby Shantz in the eighth inning of the team's 10-3 victory over the Cardinals. The Polo Grounds... Based loaded round tripper comes in the 79th game of the franchise's existence. 
Then we had a picture of Metal the Mule. Remember Metal? How many of you guys remember Metal the Mule? And how many of you guys remember Met Money? We had a picture of Met Money in there. Not bad at all. Mike Freed again with a great post, capping us on the daily recaps of what's going on in the Mets world. So if you're not a member, check us out. We do it all in that group. And what we're going to do tomorrow is do it all again. Once again, recapping the rubber game of this series. So if, if you're not a subscriber, subscribe and you'll be alerted when tomorrow's podcast is up. Enjoy the beautiful weather in the New York area. Enjoy the game. And again, thanks for listening. It means the world to me. And before we go, we're going to give you the final answers to the Met Trivia and Jeopardy question of the day. Who is ready? Here's the trivia question once again. Before Edwin Diaz won NL Relief Pitcher of the Month for June 2022, who was the last Met reliever to win the award? Well, the correct answer is Seth Lugo, who won the award in 2019. Congrats to John Tierney on being the first to submit the correct answer. And the Jeopardy questions. The two clues was promoted to the Mets on May 20th, 2019, following an injury to Seth Lugo. And the second clue was designated for assignment on June 15th after struggling to a 6.75 ERA in eight appearances. He elected free agency on June 18th. The correct response to this one is, who is Hector Santiago? Congrats to John Tierney again on being the first to submit the correct response. Another sweep of the board for John Tierney. Way to go. Can someone else do it tomorrow? We'll see. We'll have the trivia in jeopardy for you tomorrow. So check back tomorrow. Enjoy the day, as I mentioned, and let's go Mets.